Thank you very much, Jacqueline, and uh, to offer as well for the invitation to be here today. I um, have to say, when I first received the invitation, my initial reaction was not really sure why you would maybe want me to speak, um, but I'll, I'll talk more about that later. Um, and maybe that reflects some of the thoughts I have around impact and what it is and whether I've actually had any impact. Um, and then the other reflection that's just come to me as well is that I think I'm almost not an early career researcher anymore by the ESRC definition. So it's about five years now since I completed my PhD, um, but that seems to have gone so quickly. Um, so we were asked to consider about four questions today about the impact we think we'd had, um, any lessons that we've learned, any challenges that we've experienced and um, support as well that we think early career researchers need. So I'll try and address all of those questions but also offer some more critical reflections about impact um, and, and how that agenda has developed. Um, so firstly, I think if we're going to think about impact, that's not working, we need um, some definitions of impact to know what, what we're kind of being asked to fulfil. And I've picked these two definitions because as an early career researcher in education, these are the most important, really, in terms of um, funder perspective. So this is the first one from the ESRC, which is talking about a demonstrable or measurable um, contribution to um, the excellent research makes to society and the economy. And within that, there is scope for academic impact, but they do distinguish those. And I'm going to talk about a funding application um, in a bit more detail later. And then this one was taken from um, the REF, uh, or at least that was the definition used at the last REF. And this was about um, demonstrating an effect or change, again, benefit to the economy, society, um, or wider public policy. Um, and they distinguish, it's got to be something that's happening beyond academia. So these are the kind of expectations um, that, that are there for researchers. And I think if I was to kind of summarise these, um, they're talking about real-world effects, um, about non-academic beneficiaries, um, about this demonstration of change, and also really important that you're evidencing everything that your research is, is um, contributing. So in terms of the research impact that I've had, I'm going to use three examples really. The first two, the first one is from my PhD, the second one is from a postdoctoral research project that I was involved with, and the third one is sort of unrealised impact that I was um, putting forward in a grant application which then wasn't successful, but I think I've learned stuff from that as well. Um, so the first one was from my PhD, and um, this was a study between 2009 and 12, um, carried it out at Imperial College London, and it was about the motivations of young scientists, so why do young people want to do a PhD in the STEM subjects and also to what extent do their ideas about science um, match up with the government idea of the knowledge economy and science for economic growth, is there a clash of values there and so on. This was completed in 2012 um, and at the time as a PhD student I had a few opportunities to present at conferences but Academic conferences are really expensive and you've only got quite a small research budget. So it wasn't until about two years later that I was working as a postdoctoral research assistant that I got funding to go to the SRHE conference. Um, and whilst I was there presenting about my new project, I decided to put in an abstract about my PhD as well. Um, so this is, you know, two years on from the completion of my PhD. But I presented that research there and there happened to be a journalist from the Times Higher in that session as well, so similar 
experience to you, Jacqueline, and that got picked up um, online and went into a, a print version as well. So the, I think the timing helped here. This was at the end of December, so probably quite a quiet time for news. Um, so it was published online on the 1st of January. Um, and I was also quite you know, reluctant to have that out there so openly. I wasn't really sure what the reaction to this research would be, but the comments seemed to be um, largely positive. And then with a few hours of it being online, um, I received an email from a journalist at Nature, um, the scientific magazine, and they said that they also wanted to run um, a story about this. Um, and they wanted to arrange for a Skype interview and to find out more. They were very um, interested in the research methods and the rigour of the research. That's what they really wanted to know before they ran that piece of research. Um, and I didn't really hear anything further. I wasn't really sure what would happen. But then a couple of weeks later, um, there was a very short <laughs> paragraph in, in an edition of Nature that came up. And I kind of worry that my career might not ever <laughs> you know, match that again in terms of <laughs> output, but we'll see. Um, but thinking about impact, I mean, people have been very interested in how this happened. And obviously, it was, it was a succession of quite minor events that I, at the time, didn't really ascribe that much significance to. It was just a couple of opportunities that seemed to follow on, um, which led to this. It wasn't really something that I could have planned or, or preempted. Um, and I'm also not really sure that this is impact, if we think back to those definitions that I first introduced. Um, so I think it may be knowledge exchange which RCUK defines as enabling the two-way exchange uh, between researchers and research users. Um, but I think that, you know, certainly this would fall short of my institution's expectations of what an impact case study might need to look like. Um, but there was further kind of impact which developed on from this. So I did get invited to do quite a few talks, both in the UK um, and in Europe about this research. And I think most satisfying for me were the talks that were with PhD students and other early career researchers. And I was talking about my study and um, you know, the identities of scientists that I'd found and how um, you know, any advice that I could give them about thinking about careers beyond academia and so on. Okay. Um, so the second example I wanted to talk about was um, a postdoctoral research project that I worked on which was very different in terms of scale. So this was a, an 18-month project involving six Russell Group universities, and it was all about widening participation at the level of postgraduate study. So this was a huge project um, funded by Hefke. Um, I think it was multi-million pounds kind of worth um, amount of funding. It comprised scholarships um, to go on to postgraduate study, and our role was to research the effects of that over the lifespan of the project. So we did surveys with graduates, we did surveys with postgraduate students, um, and we also analysed all the application data across those six universities, um, people applying to do postgraduate study and looking at their background characteristics, looking at who receives an offer, and then who eventually enrols. So I think in terms of a total data set, we had something like 50,000 um, participants, you know, through the various strands of this project. And we also had, you know, this very obvious impact of people doing the scholarships and tracking their progress. So people who otherwise wouldn't have been receiving finance to go on to postgraduate study. Um, and we demonstrated very clearly that there is a demand for postgraduate study from underrepresented groups. 
um, that they needed this finance. This was a really essential way for them to, to um, access postgraduate study. And there have been a number of things, um, policy developments and institutional developments since that project that have really complemented our findings. So the most obvious one is that there's now a, a loan scheme in the UK for anybody wishing to undertake postgraduate study. Um, and you know, Hefke have cited our research in terms of evidencing, recommending that policy. And other institutions as well, so the University of Sussex, which wasn't involved in our project, has now run its very own um, similar master's scholarship scheme to the one that we were trialling out at our six institutions as well. So I think perhaps there there's more you know, obvious or easier way to demonstrate some impact from research. Um, so in terms of what um, lessons I can draw from this, I think it's the kind of project which probably had impact built in at the very start. So it was funded by Hefke. It was kind of complementary to what the government was suggesting they might do around postgraduate study. And we were really being asked to provide some of the evidence for a policy which maybe had already been decided um, before this research was taken out. Um, and also, it, for me, it gave me the opportunity to work with much you know, more experienced senior academics, very well connected, met lots of people at different universities, and they just provided me with lots of opportunities um, to go out to present this work, to um, co-publish with them. We wrote articles for the Times Higher as well, so there were lots of different opportunities that they really included um, me in. Okay, so I don't know, maybe, maybe this is closer to impact, but this is for discussion, I guess. Um, and then the the other um, thing that I wanted to talk about was unrealised impact. So uh, about a year ago I applied because, just because I was um, very close to the deadline of what an early career researcher is, so I decided to apply for one of the ESRC new investigator grants, um, and that was the first large grant application that I'd developed myself. Um, and in that you have to develop what's called the Pathways to Impact document, and this is a very specific um, an important aspect of your application. Um, and what I realised through that is that the way that the ESRC thinks about impact is that it can't just be one or two things, it's got to be a whole series and a real strategic plan of how you might um, offer impact and how you're going to evidence and demonstrate that over time. So um, this is essentially what my Pathways to Impact plan looked like. And I was really fortunate being at York at the time when I developed that because we do have um, ESRC funding for impact. We've got um, an impact manager and they were giving me lots of advice about these are the things you would need to put in. And some of these are quite generic in the sense that I think if you didn't have them in your application, they would be seen as why aren't they there? They're kind of almost expected now that researchers should be engaging in this. So the first one is that you know you have to have some kind of website for your project. You should be having social media presence for your project and you've got to talk about how you would perhaps use um, data on these sites to track usage and engagement with your research. Secondly, um, they're very keen on knowledge exchange workshops and not just at the end of the project either but at several points throughout the project so these kind of large grants would normally run for two or three years and they want to see that you're constantly engaging with people and that they're you know, feeding into decisions that you might be taking and um, data that you're collecting and so on. So it should be, I think, a dynamic document. That's how they kind of refer to it. Um, acknowledging that you've got academic outputs, but also that 
you need briefing papers that are going to target groups as well. You need to work out who the target audience, um, different target audiences of your research are going to be. So thinking about um, who might be interested. Um, offering, um, you know, or demonstrating that you're aware that you'll need some media or press coverage as well and having a strategy for that. And um, I'm going to talk more about this a bit later, but they want to see capability that you can fulfill these things and a lot of what you're trying to do in that document is to show that your past experience and the connections that you have are going to enable you to realize this and that's where I think perhaps early career researchers are particularly disadvantaged because you know these expectations are really quite high in terms of those cultural and social connections that you'll have and you know I think this is really true with the last point that you're supposed to have some kind of advisory group as well so people from um, you know, in my case, it would have been funders of the PhD, um, people who are involved in PhD teaching and students themselves all feeding into the project, which I should say was looking at um, the kind of early labour market experiences of PhDs. That was, that was the pitch. Um, and yeah, you've got to write about your capability as well. Um, so I'm now going to show you what the reviewers said about my impact strategy. And... It didn't get funded, so obviously there were many problems with the um, application. But one of the things that came out quite strongly was that the um, impact strategy was rated quite highly, although I believe that unless you have outstanding on everything, you've got no chance of getting funded. So I don't know what excellent really means. Um, but yeah, they were agreeing that um, the impact was high for the project and that the case of being well positioned to deliver that was there. Um, so I think for early career researchers, the ESRC does make it really clear about what they want, but you have to spend an awful lot of time thinking about how you're going to meet those expectations and putting together a really detailed plan to try and um, you know, persuade them that you're going to live up to that. Can I, just ask, can I interrupt that yeah. and ask you a question? <coughs> I just, well, it's, it's more of a reflection, really. I just wonder that it must just severely disadvantage, not just early career yeah. research, but certain sorts of early career researchers who lack those sorts of networks and the, and the networks who could access those networks. And, and if we're thinking about things like widening participation, yeah. and you're looking at students doing, coming out post, you know, into yeah. postdocs and these sorts of things, who are not involved in those sorts of British Academy networks yeah. or hefty networks, or whatever, Anyway, Absolutely, I think. I mean, I, I would. I think I've been very fortunate with the opportunities that I've had, but this is still four years out of my PhD and a, a quite a lot of postdoctoral experience to get to the point. And it was, as I say, the very last point that I could have put an application in, so it ended up being quite rushed. But the other institutions that I'd worked at prior to this hadn't suggested or supported gave that opportunity. So yeah. Okay, um, so yeah, I think the expectations are really high and then obviously that will disadvantage certain students. So this moves on quite nicely, I think, to, um, I was going to talk about challenges and um, I don't think that achieving or demonstrating impact is easy for anyone, even senior academics. Um, and there's all kinds of biases and challenges and tensions that we have to face. So th I think the first one, um, relates to your research and really where you see yourself as fitting in terms of the research that you are most passionate about, um, 
what your interests are and, and then what maybe the expectations of the impact of gender are. So this is something um, that I came across during my own PhD from the sociology of science and it's a kind of idea about different types of knowledge production. Um, so obviously nobody really wants to be in this box here where there's absolutely no contribution to understanding or use. But I think many people, especially when they're first entering academia, would see themselves as purists. Um, they're there because they love their subject and they want to contribute to the advancement of knowledge. Um, but increasingly, I think the research that sort of impact agenda would prioritise would be applied research or this user-inspired research. Um, Could you just explain what that means? Yeah, so this is about thinking about the end point of the research, who will benefit from this research, and developing a research project, design methods and outputs that are really focused on that end point. Whereas pure science would be more what's often called blue skies research, so you may have completely negative results, you may not find anything that's even publishable, but you're doing it because you think it's an important question. Um, so at this moment in time, I feel as though I'm scattered around all three of those boxes. So I have pressure to contribute to you know, pure theoretical understanding, and this, this is what the referable research really is, I think, um, certainly the higher grade research. But increasingly, there are lots of opportunities um, to contribute to the more applied side of research. Um, and one thing that I'm involved with at the moment has been um, through the offer access agreement, working with my university, with local schools, to see whether I can develop an evaluation that's going to track attainment raising over time. And it's balancing my own time as well, because I think that's really important research that may well have impact. You know, it may take a long time to demonstrate that, but it may have impact socially and on the local community, but it certainly won't be referable research as well. And I think there's lots of opportunities to engage in that kind of research as an early career person, particularly in higher education, but you've got to be thinking about that necessarily won't necessarily help your career in terms of publications, peer-reviewed publications being the main thing. Um, so yes, I think where you sort of see yourself as sitting on this quadrant is going to really influence your relationship to the impact agenda and you know the ease with which you can engage with it or you know the extent to which you see it as more of a challenge or a difficulty perhaps. And then the other thing that I was thinking about was that um, often, and this is true for, I think for early career researchers but also senior researchers, is that there is still some kind of almost snobbishness around applied research or research which is more related to impact and the idea that that in some way dilutes the focus of doing pure research. Um, and it reminded me of something that I read recently. So I don't know if you recognize this person. Yeah, so most of you do. Yeah. So this is one of my favorite <laughs> contemporary artists, Grayson Perry. Um, he's a potter. But he's also, um, he's written books about, you know, social class, masculinity, um, he's made TV programs, he has um, won the Turner Prize, he's also uh, given the Wreath Lectures a couple of years ago. So I think he's somebody who has had huge impact on, um, you know, influencing public debate, public opinion, um, commenting on social issues, and, you know, most people in the room recognised who he is. Um, but recently I was reading an interview with one of his contemporaries. I don't know if anyone recognises this person, maybe. 
Yeah, so kind of less people seem to know who this is. This is uh, Rachel Whiteread, who's another Turner Prize winner. Um, and it was quite interesting what she was saying about Grace and Perry. I'll just put that quote up there. I don't know if everyone can see it, but um, she's talking about this being a performance, really, and it eroding the cultural or you know value, the worthiness of the actual research, just being a distraction, this public persona. And I, I have heard very similar things in academia as well about people who are doing more applied research, people who are um, you know, more focused on impactful research. And it also reminded me of something that um, John Holmwood, the professor of sociology, said a few years ago about the impact of gender um, and sociology, and he said it was a certain pathway to mediocrity if we become <laughs> focused on impact. So, you know, very difficult tensions, I think, that we, we have to think about. But just to go back to my point before about um, disadvantage and impact, to me, what impact starts to look like, I've just got a few ideas here. Um, so firstly, to have impact, you know, you need really good knowledge of the system and of the expectations, and that's a kind of cultural capital almost in itself. Um, you need to be able to network, have exchanges, have these opportunities, which are, you know, a form of social capital almost within the system. Um, it takes time, and you need to be patient. And then I've also suggested there's a a sense of, you know, certain types of people will be very good at impact. So even um, the ESRC itself says that um, good impact is as much about approach, mindset, personal qualities and personal mission. So it's this idea that, you know, certain individuals are going to have the polish and the, the wherewithal to be able to deliver really good impact. Um, and, you know, what this means for early career researchers, I think we need to think about a bit more. Um, so yes, I think that was maybe all of the points I wanted to make. Just maybe a final thing. Um, it has been suggested to me that, and it kind of leads on to some of the presentations earlier today, that maybe academics themselves, it's kind of too much to be asking for all of these expectations. Um, and one idea that I know the research councils are thinking about a few years ago was whether they should fund brokers um, you know, to do some of this work rather than putting all the expectations on researchers. And maybe that's something we could think about. Okay, thank you. Thank you.